Good morning, church family. It's good to be with you on this uh, cool fall day. Woke up this morning and it was in the, in the 40s, so it's officially uh, long sleeve weather, at least for this week. Uh, my favorite time of the year. Hope you're enjoying it as well. Uh, if you're new to New Life, maybe you're just tuning in, you found it on somebody's uh, feed, you just kind of jumped in. My name's Chris, one of the pastors here at New Life. Welcome to you. Uh, two weeks ago, we started a brand new message series called Encounters with Jesus. And what Jesus has, has shown us in these encounters over the course of the last couple of weeks is that whether you're a social outcast, like the woman at the well in John 4, or whether you're a cool kid, you're an insider, you're a good person like Nicodemus in John chapter three, in either case, wherever you are in life, Jesus offers you living water in this life. He offers you a new birth into his kingdom. And the reality is we need that right vertical relationship with our creator before anything else in our life really starts to make sense. Last week, Jonathan taught from uh, Luke chapter seven that not only do we need vertical relationship that is right with God, but we also need right horizontal relationship as well. We are, we are made for relationships. And as awesome as the big circle is, kind of what we're doing right now, whether you're kind of tuning in via live stream at 10 a.m. or you're gathering with us on the lawn in person at 5 p.m., as awesome as that big kind of circle worship experience is, most of the growth, even the hard stuff, but the healthy stuff, happens not in the big circle, but it happens in small circles, which again is why small groups um, are a drum beat that we're just gonna keep marching to again and again and again until Jesus comes back. Now this week we're gonna be looking at one of my favorite encounters that Jesus ever had with somebody found in uh, Matthew's Gospel chapter 16. And so if you have a Bible at home, let me encourage you to, to grab that, turn it on on your iPad or your, your phone, Matthew chapter 16. You know, a little over a week ago, uh, we had the 19th anniversary of September 11th. Now, if you're under the age of, I don't know, 24, 25, 26, you, you probably don't even remember it. But for those of us who are uh, over kind of 24, 25, 26, most of us can remember exactly where we were and what we were doing uh, on that faithful day, right? When we, when we heard the news. For, for me, I was... I was on my college campus, and I remember I was, I was actually walking into the, the student center uh, that morning, and there was a, a wall that had a, a TV on it, right? Kind of when you walked into the student center, and there was never anybody there. I mean, people just kind of walked by it. But I walked in that morning, and there was a crowd of people huddled around the TV. And I was kind of like, man, what in the world is going on? So I go over there with the crowd, and I just stood there in astonishment as I uh, just realized that the, a jetliner had just flown right into one of the trade towers in New York City. And I remember just kind of being in a haze after that, going back to my dorm room, just turning on the news, sitting down, watching the second plane hit the second tower and just the devastation and the buildings coming down and people jumping out. And I can just remember that so clearly. I will never forget that moment. If you're a little bit older, maybe my parents' age, maybe for you that moment that's just kind of uh, emblazoned in your mind is the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. 
Um, but regardless of what that memory is, almost all of us have these kind of milestone moments where time just kind of seems to stand still. And those moments, again, are just, they're just emblazoned in our minds. We can remember what we were doing. Maybe you can remember what you were wearing. You can remember what the smell is. You can remember what was going on around you. They're just kind of these weird moments in time that are locked into your mind forever. Well, I think the encounter that we're about to read right now in Matthew 16 would have been one of those moments for the disciples. So let's dive in right now. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. Matthew writes this. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist, others say Elijah, Others say Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So let's set the scene here. Jesus takes his disciples on this little field trip about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee to the city called Caesarea Philippi. Now here's here's what you gotta know about this city, Caesarea Philippi. This city was sort of like the, um, the red light district of the day, right? This was, this was Sin City. Proper religious people or spiritual people or Jewish people, they just kind of steered clear of this city. If this city was around today, people would say things like, what happens in Caesarea Philippi stays in Caesarea Philippi. Right? This was a place of lots of pagan god worship, Baal was worshiped here. There was this uh, Greek god called Pan that was worshiped there. There was a temple for that god. Uh, the fertility gods were worshiped here and unspeakable acts were committed in, in the city as worship to all of these gods. It was just a really wicked, perverse city. And so Jesus walks his disciples right into the heart of Sin City. Now, p- put yourself in their shoes just for a minute, right? These are, these are good little Jewish boys, right? They, they grew up in the synagogue. They, they undoubtedly were taught, hey, never, never go to the city. This is not where people like us go to hang out. And here Jesus is walking them right into the heart of this city. And they had to be thinking in their minds, like, Jesus, why are we here? Like, what on earth are you doing? Why are you bringing us here? You, man, are you trying to get us in trouble with our, our wives? Are you trying to, to ruin our reputation? What is, what is going on here? And in this setting, in Caesarea Philippi, of all places, Jesus turns to his disciples right in the middle of this city, and he asks them one very simple question. Who do people say that I am? And different disciples start chiming up and say, well, some say that you're John the Baptist, come back to life. And others say you're Elijah, you're Jeremiah, you're one of the other prophets that's come back to life. And Jesus goes, okay, but, but I'm really interested in what you have to say. Who do you say that I am? 
Now, I, I would argue this is, this is one of the most important questions any of us will ever ask or answer in our lives. Because in our day, just like in Jesus's day, people have many answers about Jesus, don't they? Who is Jesus? Is he, is he a moral teacher? Is he a good man, a good example, a prophet perhaps? Or was he a madman? Or is he God clothed in human flesh? And Peter, out of all the 12 guys there, Peter speaks up, well, because he's, he's Peter. That's what, that's what Peter does. If you've studied Peter, if you've read Peter, uh, the one thing you learn quickly about this guy is he really doesn't have a filter. Whatever comes into his mind comes flying out of his lips. And more often than not, that tends to get him in trouble, but not this time. Not this time. He, he nails it. He hits a grand slam. He says, Jesus, you, you are the Christ. You, you are the son of the living God. He goes, Jesus, I, I know who you are. You're, you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God. I, I, Jesus, I know that you're that guy. You're the one that the prophets prophesied all those years ago about. You're the savior of the world. You're the one that has come to redeem and restore. I know who you are, Jesus. And Jesus looks at Simon Peter, and I just have to imagine in my mind with a huge smile across his face. And he says, blessed are you, Peter, for flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now picture at this point, Peter, the text doesn't say this, but I just, knowing Peter, I just, I got kind of picture him turning around to the other disciples and kind of doing a little shoulder brush and be like, hey man, listen guys, if y'all have any other questions, you don't really have to ask Jesus. We're kind of running on the same wavelength. You just ask me. I know all the right answers. Clearly, I know what's going on. You just come to me and you ask me the questions. While Peter's kind of doing his little celebratory dance in the corner, Jesus says something else that has profound implications for us today. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. That's a fascinating little verse. I think it's one of the most um, misunderstood verses in all of scripture. Our Catholic friends, for instance, take this verse to mean that Jesus was saying that he was actually going to build his church on one man, just on Peter. And so Peter was kind of the first pope in the papal line. But was Jesus really saying that Peter was the rock that he would build his church on? I, I don't think so. Actually, I went back this, this week, and when you look at the verse in its original language, the word Peter in the Greek there is, is Petros. And that, that word literally means little rock or little stone. And so Jesus is saying, you, Peter, are a little stone. Then he says, but on this rock, and he uses another Greek word called Petra, which means huge rock. I will build my church on this huge rock. So he's saying, Peter, you're this little rock, but on this big rock over here, I'm gonna build my church. And Jesus was using kind of this, this play on words. And so the question then becomes, if Peter's not the big rock that Jesus was talking about, what is this big rock that Jesus promised to build his church on? Scholars are kind of divided into a couple of different camps on this. Some would say that Jesus actually is speaking of Peter's confession here. Basically, Peter's confession was the gospel, right? He said, you, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the one we've been waiting on. You are the son of the living God. And so, so maybe this would kind of be the one that I would lean towards. Jesus was saying, hey, the big rock that I'm gonna build my church on is your confession. It's the gospel. So that's option one, that Jesus was saying, I'm gonna build my church 
on the rock of the gospel. And then other people would say, no, Jesus was probably pointing to himself as the, as the big rock that he was gonna build his church on. And so maybe Jesus was saying, hey, you, Peter, are a little rock, but on this, at it pointing to himself, but on this big rock, I'm gonna build my church. Now, whether this big rock Jesus was referring to was the gospel or Jesus himself, in either case, the whole thrust of the passage is not about Peter at all, it's about Jesus. Notice the wording here. Jesus says, I will build my church. It's about Jesus, not about, not about Peter or anybody else. Paul tells us, in fact, in Ephesians chapter two, that Christ is the foundational cornerstone upon which the entire church is built. It's all about Jesus. He is the founder of the church. He is the foundation of the church. He is the bedrock of the church. And in this incredible little encounter with his disciples, Jesus helps us answer two critically important questions, and we'll spend the rest of our time together answering these two questions. Those questions are these. What is the church? And there's a lot of confusion out there today about what the church is, so we're gonna answer that. What is the church, and why does it matter? Why does it even matter what the church is? Man, if I've got a personal relationship with God, through why, why do I need the church? Why does it even matter? And so Jesus actually answers both of those questions for us in this little exchange. You know, we, we oftentimes say here at New Life, and we're gonna keep saying this because this is true, church is not a building. In America, we've kinda got it confused. We, we kinda think of a building as church. Church is not a building. Church is not even an event that happens for an hour on live stream on Sunday morning or out on the lawn on Sunday evening. It's not a building, it's not an event. Here, here's my defini definition of a church. A church is a people on mission with God. That's, that's what a church is kind of core, boiled down to its essence definition. Church is a people, a community, a family on mission with Jesus. It's not a dead institution. It's not a building you come to. It's a living organism with a shared purpose. And it's, listen, it's bigger than any one of us. It's not about our preferences. It's not about us at all. It's about Jesus and his mission. It's about helping people find and follow Jesus. Now, I'm just gonna be honest with you. One of the most concerning things for me as a, as a pastor, as I look out over the landscape of the American church is the reality that a lot of churches that seem to be successful in the way that we think of success wouldn't even meet Jesus's definition of what a church is. They're social clubs. They're hype machines that kind of hijack the term church when they're actually nothing of the sort. And I'm just gonna say, listen, if you're, if you're kinda tuned in, I know we, we have people that watch in all, all sorts of different states, even other countries. If you're tuned in and you're watching this and you're, you're a part of a church where, where everything they do isn't centered around Jesus and his mission and his gospel, I'm just telling you, it's not a church. I don't care what they put on the sign, what they call themselves, what they put it on website. If everything they do isn't about Jesus and his mission, it is not a church. There are so many churches, and I use that word, that term loosely in this context, that you can, you can go to or you can watch online week after week. And listen to me, friend, it's, it's entertaining. And maybe they have great coffee shops in the, 
in the lobby and maybe they have a bunch of sweet fog machines on the stage and maybe they have some super inspirational messages like, hey, here are five ways to have a better love life and here are three ways to have a better financial life and hey, listen, there's, there's a David inside of each of us just waiting to be unleashed and you just need to go slay all of the giants in your life and there's a lot of me, me, me and I, I, I focus. There's a lot of self-help junk out there that makes us feel really good in the moment, but there's one thing many of these church, churches are missing, and that is the hero of the whole story. And that hero isn't you, friend. And that hero isn't me. That hero is Jesus. I, I recently watched a Netflix documentary called, uh, documentaries are, are kind of my thing, so I'm always looking for new ones to watch, but I recently watched one called American Gospel, Christ Alone. I would just encourage you, if you have a Netflix account, go watch it. It's well worth the hour, hour and 15 minutes that you'll spend watching it. It's called American Gospel, Christ Alone. The reality is one of the things this documentary highlights is there are, there are many people in our culture, in our nation that are packing churches in our culture that are in reality not attending a church at all. They're, they're just going to kind of self-help seminars and, and hype sessions cloaked as churches. And friend, listen to me, that, that is frightening. That is frightening. Listen, at New Life, we, we are not perfect. We're not even close to perfect. But one thing we are committed to 100% is singing the gospel and praying the gospel every week and preaching the gospel every week because the reality is Jesus is all we have. And we're convinced here at New Life that he is actually all we need. The truth of the matter is you don't come here or tune in. You, you don't need my opinion on different things. You don't need my opinion on politics or, or vaccines or sports. We all know Alabama football is God's favorite team. We don't need to rehash that every week. You don't need to hear my opinions. You need to hear from God. We need to open up these ancient words and have God's spirit breathe into our hearts and our lives in a way that change our lives and our destiny in the course of our lives. So when we gather, it's not gonna be a hype machine or about one person. When we gather, it's gonna be to collectively remind each other of who Jesus is and what he's done for us and who he's made us to be and the, the mission that he's sent us on together. And so here's big idea number one, just, just two big ideas and then we'll be done with the message this morning. So here's big idea number one. The authentic church the church that Jesus came to build, number one, is built on Jesus and oriented around the gospel. The real church, the authentic church is built on Jesus and it is always, always oriented and centered around the gospel. That's the first thing that Jesus teaches us in this remarkable little encounter with Peter, his church. His bride is built on no man, it's built on Jesus. It's built on his life, his death, his resurrection. But that's not all Jesus teaches us in this little encounter. Look at verse 18, Jesus says, or, or Matthew says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And then watch this. This is where it starts to get really exciting. Jesus says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, now let, me, let, me, let me start just by saying that there's only one thing 
that Jesus ever promised to build in this world. Only, only one thing. He didn't promise to build social programs or homeless shelters or feeding centers or orphanages or missionary sending agencies. As good as all of those things are, his one answer to the evil in this world, his one chosen vehicle to expand his kingdom in this world, the one thing he stakes the entire mission on was this one thing he called the church. And until about a year ago, whenever I read this verse, when Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against us, the church, I always just kind of mistakenly pictured the church in this kind of defensive position. <laughs> like, like Satan and, 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 and the demons and, and in hell were just kind of advancing and we were just kind of like in this defensive position, cowering against his power. We're just kind of like hanging on by a thread until Jesus comes back. But about a year ago, I just had this revelation, this realization as I studied this passage that really has revolutionized the way that I view the church and the realization that changed everything for me was this. A gate is a defensive device. It's not an offensive weapon. So when Jesus says that the gates of hell will not prevail against my church, he's implicitly saying that my church is going to be on the offensive. Right, notice he says the gates of hell, not, not the swords of hell, not the grenades of hell, the gates of hell. They're, they're the ones on the defense. My church is gonna be taking ground from the kingdom of darkness. My people are gonna be kicking down the gates of hell with all of my power and all of my authority behind them. And I don't know about you, but that, that's an exciting thought for me. And the reality is I don't think that this was just an invitation for Peter. I think this is an invitation for all believers to join in this hell-smashing, gate-crashing movement called the church. And so here's the second big idea that I think Jesus gives us. Number two, the church is God's plan to break down the gates of hell. The church is God's plan, God's method, God's strategy to kick down the gates of hell. That's why the church matters, friend. That's why it matters. Listen, God could have chosen anything in the world to accomplish his mission. He, he could have allowed great white sharks to, to sprout wings and speak and, and fly out of the ocean, and come knock on your door and say, hey, listen, I wanna tell you about God. I wanna tell you about Jesus. That would be a pretty compelling way to share the gospel. He didn't choose that way. He chose us, the church. We are plan A and there is no plan B. And Jesus has called us to be a part of the most revolutionary, counterculture, life-changing movement this world has ever seen. And now in 2020, we can look back through 2,000 years of church history and we can indeed see that the gates of hell have not prevailed against the bride of Jesus. You think about the early church, the church that we read about in the book of Acts, even in the face of incredible persecution in Rome, about three generations, four generations in, by about 300 AD, over half the pagan Roman Empire was professing Jesus as Lord. How do you explain that? You look at Herod, right? He thought he was gonna stamp this whole thing out with the slaughter of the innocents, but he failed. 
Nero tried to stamp this out by torturing Christians publicly for sport. And as he did that, the church just grew all the more. Satan surely thought he had this whole thing stamped out when Jesus died on the cross. But then three days later, he came walking out of that tomb. And even today in places like China and Iran and Africa where the church is under massive persecution for their faith in Jesus, the church continues to expand and explode. Listen, friend, how do you explain that? How do you explain for 2,000 years under incredible pressure that this movement, Jesus called the church, continues to expand and explode all over the world, except that Jesus has given supernatural authority and power to his bride, the church. And it will not fail, it cannot fail. I say all of that to say this, Christian, listen, the church is not some secondary thing or aspect in your faith journey. It's not some secondary appendage to your relationship with Jesus. It is primary. It is critical to your spiritual health and your growth. Listen, I'm just gonna be honest with you. It is heartbreaking to me how many professing followers of Jesus will say something ignorant like, I love Jesus, I just don't need the church. And and, and in one sense, I I kind of understand that because in my experience, usually people that say kind of ignorant comments like that, they're coming from a place where they've been deeply wounded in a church, and so so I get it in some ways. Or people will say things like, man, my my church is in the woods. My church is is when I I go fishing, when I go golfing, when I I go hunting. And and listen, the reality is I feel close to God in nature too. I love long hikes to waterfalls and lakes and things like that. But I, but I want us to see from God's perspective just the absolute insanity of those types of statements. Listen, y'all, the church is the bride of Jesus Christ. The church, according to the words of Jesus himself, is his chosen method to kick down the gates of hell and establish his kingdom. The scriptures tell us that Jesus died for his bride. Ephesians chapter five. Jesus loves his bride. He loves the church with a ferocious love. The example I always give when kind of talking about this is, I mean, if somebody came up to me and they said, hey, Chris, I, I really like you and I wanna just become friends, maybe get coffee, start hanging out together, but I, I just gotta tell you, I hate your family. Man, I, I just, your, your wife is irritating to me and and please just don't ever bring her around and your kids are, man, they're loud and annoying. And so Chris, I I like you and I want a relationship with you, but I I hate your family. Think about the insanity of that. If you hate my wife, if you hate my kids, there's no chance we're gonna have a relationship or a friendship. And Jesus loves his bride way more than I'll ever love my bride. So it's insane for us to say, man, I I love God, I can have a personal relationship with God, but I hate his bride, I'm not gonna be a part of his church. He loves his bride. If you love Jesus, you must love his bride. The great church father, Augustine, puts it this way. He says, he cannot have God for his father who will not have the church for his mother. Christian, you were designed by your creator to live in a community of people on mission with Jesus called the church. 
We are to give our lives away in this movement. Listen, there are no free agents in the kingdom of God. And know this, please understand this, an anemic view of the church will lead to an atrophied faith in your life. That's just a fact. An anemic view of the church will lead to an atrophied faith in your life. We were designed for this movement. We were designed to be a part of this community of faith, this gospel community that's taking ground and crashing the gates of hell. And so Christian, I just want you to understand, you will never be healthy spiritually apart from the community of Jesus, the local church. And that's why it matters so much. And that's why it should matter to you if you claim you love Jesus, and that's why it should matter to me, and that's why it should matter to us collectively collectively as those who profess the name of Jesus. Now let's look at verse 19, then we'll, we'll be done, almost done. Verse 19, Jesus says this, I will give you, and again, I, I think he's not just talking to Peter, I think he's talking to all of his disciples of all time. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Did you catch that, friend? Jesus is saying to his disciples back then, and again, I would argue to disciples today that he is giving us the keys to the kingdom of God. Now, what is Jesus talking about? Did, was Peter walking around with some big golden key that unlocked heaven or something? What, what, is the, what is the key to the kingdom of heaven? I think it's what, it's what Peter just declared when Peter said, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. It's, it's the gospel. The gospel are the keys to the kingdom of heaven, right? It's, it's what unlocks abundant life now and eternal life to come. As a church, we've been given the gospel. We've been given the keys to the kingdom of God. We've been given the best news the world has ever heard. Be given the only message with the power to transform the human heart and mind. And we have this incredible, mind-blowing promise from Jesus himself that we will not, as his church, fail ever. Christian, church, Jesus is saying here, the victory is already ours. It's time to go claim what belongs to our king. Friend, maybe, maybe for you it's time to just stop playing church or playing this little spiritual, churchy Christianity game on the side of your life. Maybe for you it's time to give yourself to the mission of Jesus through the bride of Jesus for the glory of Jesus. I'm gonna start to wrap it up with uh, this incredible quote from uh, this, the legendary, the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, in the 19th century. This is, I'll have this on the screen for you. This is what Spurgeon has to say about the church. He says, uh, give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. If I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I would have never joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it, for it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, Imperfect as it is, and I love this, listen to this. As imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. All who have first given themselves to the Lord should as speedily as possible also give themselves to the Lord's people. 
How else is there to be a church on the earth? If it is right for anyone to refrain from membership in the church, it is right for everyone. And the testimony of God would be lost to the world. As I have already said, the church is faulty, but that is no excuse for you're not joining it if you are the Lord's. Nor need your own faults keep you back, for the church is not an institution for perfect people, amen. But a, and I love this, but a sanctuary for sinners, saved by grace, who though they are saved, are still sinners and need all the help they can derive from the sympathy and the guidance of their fellow believers. The church is the nursery for God's weak children where they are nourished and they grow strong. It is the fold for Christ's sheep, the home for Christ's family. That is the church. Friend, as imperfect as she is, for the follower of Jesus, the church is the dearest place on earth to us. Church, listen to me, when you, when you encounter Jesus, first he offers you a relationship with your creator, but the second thing he does is he grafts you into a family, into a movement, into a community called the church, and the reality is we need one another. You need me and I need you and we're all crafted and unique in different ways and we really only function well in a healthy way as a family when we are together. And this is how God has chosen to expand his kingdom in this world. And listen, friend, you have a big part to play in it. The only question that really remains is this. What's your part to play in the movement that Jesus called the church? What's your part to play in the only thing that Jesus promised to build in this world, which is his bride, the local church? Now, if you're here, if you're kind of tuned in and, and you're not a Christian, I, w- I want you to know that we're, uh, we're really happy that you're tuned in, that you're with us. And I want you to know, if you're listening to this, I want you to know for you, your first step is to confess, just like Peter did all those years ago, Jesus, you are the Christ. Jesus, I, I know who you are. Maybe, maybe for the first time I'm, I'm realizing it and the Holy Spirit is confirming it in my heart that I, I believe that you are who you said you are. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And so if you've never done that, let me just encourage you to do that right now. Just do that in your heart. Just pray out to God and say, I'm giving my life to you. I'm turning from my sin, turning to you. With Peter, I confess you are, you are the Christ. I'm giving my life to you. And if that's you, just let me encourage you Reach out, let us know. You can email us. There are chat hosts on all of our platforms. They'd love to kind of just talk with you about what that would look like for you to begin that journey with your creator. Now listen, if you're, if you're tuned in and you're already in the family, you're already a follower of Jesus, you're already, you're already a Christian, let me just ask you, how, how is God calling you to take your next step in all of this? And friend, l- listen, listen to me. I, I believe in the church because Jesus believed in the church. And so what is God asking you to do? I don't know where you're at. I don't know what your involvement here with this body is or some other body is. What, is. what is God asking you to do in light of this truth? That this is the one thing Jesus has chosen to expand his kingdom, the one thing he has promised to build in this world. What is God calling you to do? Maybe your step, if you've been around here for new life for a little while, maybe a long while, is to become an official covenant church member, team member at New Life. Maybe you've been sitting on the sidelines and you've been kind of tuning in via live stream or just coming to services, but you've never really got off the bench and gotten into the game. Let me encourage you, take that next step. 
You can sign up on our website under the Next Steps tab. It's all online right now. You can go through our membership process. We'd love that. For some of you, maybe God is asking you to dip your toe into group life, just like the Zetterholms talked about at the beginning of the service, or maybe dip your toe back into group life. Maybe it's been a while for you. For others of you, maybe God is, is calling you to take the step in his kingdom, in his church body by joining a, a serve team. And that could be one of a million different things here. And maybe for some of you, maybe God is even calling you to do something really, really radical. Like to move to another city and plant a church. Or to pack up your stuff and sell it and go to the nations for a year or two years maybe the rest of your life. Whatever God is asking you to do, will you be obedient to him? And then, listen, friend, will you, will you let us know? If God is calling you to take a next step, would you reach out and just communicate with us? Let us know what that step is because we wanna walk with you in that process. Let me pray for us and then we'll sing. Father, thank you for your church as imperfect as she is, as imperfect as we all are, God, thank you for the gift of your bride, for this community of sinners who are in this process of being sanctified by your son, Jesus, for this family that you've given the keys to your kingdom to, with the best news, with the gospel, the world, the thing that has the power to change lives, change the world, God, thank you that in spite of our sin and in spite of our imperfection and all of our failures as a church, and all of our failures as people, that you choose to redeem those things and advance your kingdom through your church anyway, God. Thank you for the promise that you will never leave us, that you will never forsake us. Thank you for your promise that not even the gates of hell will hold back your people, the church, God. So would you help us give ourselves away to your mission through your bride for your glory and for our good. And we ask all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.